0: on uh, a couple of passages that I feel are oftentimes uh, misused, mishandled, uh, maybe misunderstood. And um, if you will, take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And um, I uh, oftentimes hear people quote this verse, or or, well, let me rephrase that. We don't usually quote the verse. Uh, we make a statement that is based on the verse, or we think is based on the verse. Uh, but let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and uh, we'll begin reading in um, uh, verse number 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who, are not, who will not suffer you to be tempted Above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Um, we're going to deal with two things tonight that similarly uh, similarly apply to uh, the idea of uh, things that we want or or things that deal with the um, uh, the physical nature of our lives and. Uh, One of the things that we make a statement on, and we use this verse to make it, is God will not put anything more on me than I can bear. And how many of you have either heard or said that statement before? (laughs) Okay. Um, The truth is, that's not what this verse says. It doesn't say that God won't put more on you than you are able to bear. Again, the context of the passage is vitally important. Uh, And so, you know, we all know what it's like. Uh, to go through some issues where life gets very, very difficult. When I was a kid, um, I'd heard a, a humorous story. I've I, I got a copy of it. I'm going to read it to you. But it illustrates very clearly how oftentimes uh, we get to a point where life just seems like it can't get any worse. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And uh, this fellow was writing as a follow-up to a, apparently an, an insurance claim that he had made. And he says, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information uh, of the accident reporting form where I put poor planning as the cause, and you asked for a fuller explanation. I trust the following details will be sufficient. He said, I'm a brick, trader, brick layer by trade. He said, on the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed the work, I found that I had some bricks left over, which when weighed later were found to weigh 240 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at the ground, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went downstairs and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 240 pounds of bricks. You will note on the accident report form that my weight is 135 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downwardly at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, the minor abrasions, and broken collarbone, as listed in Section 3, Accident Reporting Form. Uh, It slowed me only slightly. I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until my fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which I mentioned in Paragraph 2. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was at least able to hold on to the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now, devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations of my legs and lower body. Here I was very fortunate. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks, and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. And uh, I read that when I was a kid, and I remembered, uh, it, it's a humorous story, I'm certain it's not true, uh, but sometimes we feel that way, don't we, in life? That about the time we think that's about as bad as it can get, it, it seems to get worse. And I, I want us to, to look at some things regarding this particular passage of Scripture, at what is not saying, and I'm going to talk about that first of all, and then we're going to look at, okay, what does it say? What does it tell, tell us? And I want to first of all point out a couple of things that it is not referring to. It does not tell us that God will not let bad things happen uh, to us. Uh, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I just don't know why all this bad is happening to me. Uh, the psalmist felt that way, didn't he? In fact, he was, he was at his wits' end. The psalmist said, my feet had well nigh slipped he said, I was just at that breaking point. He said, I could not understand why I was suffering and struggling and the heathen were prospering. And it was something that boggled his mind. And it bothered him to the point where it almost overwhelmed him. It almost got too much for him. And in fact, probably uh, if it were not for God and his promises, uh, would have been too much for him. So it does not say that God is not going to allow bad things to happen to you. A lot of Uh, a lot of the prosperity preachers, a lot of the Word of Faith churches out there will use a verse like this, and they will misstate it, and they'll misquote it, and they'll talk about the fact that God doesn't want anything bad to happen to you. That is not what this is saying. It does not say uh, that the things that He does allow uh, to happen to us will not exceed our mental, emotional, or even physical abilities. It does not say that. Uh, In fact, there are certainly sometimes that we can come under a load of care that is far greater than we can bear. Um, Before you take my word for it, let's take a look at Scripture, all right, and see what the Bible has to say about that. Uh, Turn over to 2 Corinthians. Hold your place here. We're going to come back to it. But let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. And um, the Apostle Paul is such a gracious fellow, wasn't he? I'm amazed when I read uh, all of the things that Paul went through and then to hear him give God praise for the life that he was allowed, the privilege of living, the service that he was allowed to do for the Lord, even the suffering that he was able to go through. And in verse number 3, he says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. By the way, I want to just point this out in this verse. It's not part of the message. But I have oftentimes tried to counsel folks, and it took me years to learn this lesson. But oftentimes, God brings us through trials so that we can turn around and help someone else going through a trial and say, this is how God brought me through it. And Paul teaches that in verse number 4. He says, uh, "...who comforteth us in all our, all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer." or whether we be comforted it is uh, for your consolation and salvation and our hope of you is steadfast knowing that as these uh, as ye are partakers of the sufferings so shall ye also be uh, be also of the consolation so we we i think it can all be in agreement here pauls relating to personal suffering that he has been through he's speaking of the fact that i'm using the things that god has given me comfort in to get me through these things, to be able to give to others that are going through the like things. But I want us to look very closely at verse number 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble. So Paul is speaking of the trouble, the afflictions that he's gone through, which came to us in Asia. Now notice what he says here. That we were pressed, and this is an interesting phrase, we were pressed out of measure, notice the next phrase, Above what? Strength. insomuch much that we what? Despaired even of life. And I'll tell you this, God put more on the Apostle Paul than the Apostle Paul could bear. In fact, so much so that He tells the people, I'm having to give you the same thing that got me through that because I couldn't go through it. I'm having to give you the comfort ...that I got when I went through those same afflictions. Now notice what he says in verse number 9. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust, notice this, in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust, that he will yet deliver us. So again, coming back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11... I will tell you this, nowhere in this passage does it speak of the fact that God is not going to put more on you than you can bear. Now, we do have promises, but not in this verse, that God will provide uh, the strength. He will carry us. He'll give us the comfort. And He will bring us through it. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is dealing with uh, temptation. In fact, if you'll take time to read the entirety of chapter 10 leading up to it, uh, I'm going to back up to verse number... Six, uh, verse number five. But with many of them, uh, speaking of those that were in the past, Moses and the uh, children of Israel as they came through the wilderness. But many of them, with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Again, not dealing with physically or dealing with uh, the the um, uh, uh, just the circumstances, but they they were tempted. And they gave in to their temptation. We know that because he goes on to say, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after what? Evil things as they also lusted. So the overthrow that's spoken of in verse number 5 is not speaking of physical problems. I mean, they had them, no doubt, but that's not what it's speaking of. He's referring to their temptations. To follow after heathens, to follow after uh, the uh, the idols, and how many often did the nation of Israel over those forty years have to uh, deal with idol worship and the the the, uh, the the other nations around them? Notice, he says in verse seven, neither be idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. So three different things here. He uh, says the children of Israel gave in to temptation. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, all these things happen unto them for in samples. And they are written for what? For our admonition. You know, the reason God gave us the record of all of that in the Old Testament was for our good, it was for our admonition, so we could see and learn from it. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, notice what he says here, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. All of this context is dealing with the temptation that comes our way. In verse 13 he says then, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be what? Tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape, a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Bear what? The physical problems of life, the emotional problems of life the financial problems of life, the relationship problems of life. Is that what the it is referring to? No, it's referring to the temptations to do wrong. And he says this in verse 13. I want us to to notice, we're going to dissect it a little bit. What does it say here? The problem with uh, misunderstanding this passage is saying, God won't put anything more on you than you can bear, Is it leads to um, uh, self-confidence. Uh, let me give you, uh, just try to illustrate a little bit for you, or explain it to you a little bit this way. When those burdens come, and they're heavy burdens, maybe they're, uh, maybe they're a, a ridicule or a breaking of a relationship from someone you love. Uh, maybe it is uh, persecution from maybe some coworkers. Maybe it is, uh, I, I, I couldn't help but think as I was talking to Brother uh, Victor today, he's in a situation that a lot of people would use this verse for. Uh, his dad passed away. He just lost his brother here a few months ago. Uh, everything that can go wrong, it seems like, is going wrong for him. And, uh, and, and those things pile up, and they weigh heavy on them. And in, in, if we read this verse the way oftentimes it's quoted, that God won't put anything more on me than I can bear, what we mean by that is, I must be able to make it through on my own because God would not have allowed this to happen to me if he didn't know I could handle it. That's really what we're saying. The problem with that is it takes out the factor of the, the fact that God wants us to trust Him and put our, our dependence upon Him and to run to Him for strength to get through the issues. Because there will be times that we will be like the Apostle Paul, where we will feel like death is here. There is no other option but to die. And it's too much. I can't handle this. But notice that when Paul said that in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, he said that God was the one that brought me through this. God is the one who strengthened me and allowed me to get through this. But notice what it does say in verse 13. So we know what it's not referring to. It's not referring to just the circumstances of life. It's dealing specifically with temptation that comes our way. So what is it saying to us? First of all, it says that there is not any temptation out there that comes to you that Other people don't have as well. Uh, Let me help you with this. I I don't know how many times I've heard people when they've given in to temptation, and and I think maybe even I've even had the thought over the years when I have, that boy, they just don't understand the temptation I went through. I mean, I've had it worse than everybody. Uh, Or or maybe we say it this way, uh, well, the devil made me do it. I mean, this was a temptation. You ever thought about what we say when we say the devil made me do it? We're saying that we had no choice in the matter, that it was forced upon us. We had no other alternative. Now, that would be in contradiction of Scripture here. It does not tell us that uh, God won't put anything more on us than we can bear, but it does tell us that all of the temptations that come our way, every person has to deal with them, every single one of us. You're nothing special when it comes to the fact of temptation. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we have not a high priest who is not touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He can relate to any temptation that we have, as can other men. Because the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is what? Common to man. This is just, it's going to happen. You can go ahead and mark it down. Temptation is going to come. The second thing that we find that this is is that God is faithful. God is faithful and he always is. This is important because it says God will not put uh, he says God will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now, if we understand that there's no temptation taking us, but such as is common to man, and we understand that God is faithful, and we understand that every single time He will make a way of escape from that temptation, then we have to say this about this verse. Every time we commit sin, it is a choice. It is not something that we couldn't help. We cannot look back and say, Boy, I just, you just don't understand, Pastor, I couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. Because this verse does say that God will be faithful to make a way of escape from that temptation. Satan does not force anyone to sin. He uses two tactics he always has from the beginning of time. He uses enticement and he uses pressure. He'll entice you to sin and try to make it look good. If you survive that enticement, which most people don't, that's usually where Christians go wrong. The flesh nature loves what it loves, and it's going to go after it. If they survive the enticement, then they put the pressure on. Then they start saying, Well, you know, he's a, he's a goody two shoes, and uh, who does he think he is? Does he think he's holier than thou? And he starts putting pressure and ridicule on us. And those that don't give in to enticement, when we do give in, will give in inevitably to pressure. But rest assured, every time it is our choice. Because we have a choice to either take the way of escape that God has given to us or not to take it. But every single time, uh, there is a way of escape. Now, in light of this, there's three lessons that I think we can learn from this that will be a help to us. Number one, keep your guard up. Keep your guard up. Look with me in verse number 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth do what? Take heed, lest he fall. We need to be on our guard. We need to be watchful. If we understand and know that every time we give in to temptation, it is because of a personal choice, and we know that from this verse. If we know that, then we need to be on guard for it. We need to be watchful of it. We need a purpose in our hearts. Uh, the second thing I think that we need to keep in mind is we need to never think that our temptation is especially intense, and that no other person has had to go through it. It causes us, when we do think those things, it causes us to try to justify, it's one more step in justifying why we gave into it. Well, no one else had to endure this, I did. We need to keep in mind and understand the truth of this verse, that these temptations that we have, I don't care what they are, they are common to man. And then the third thing I think we need to do is look for God's way of escape. Look for God's way of escape in every aspect. It's always there. And we always have the choice. You ever, uh, <laughs> you ever have a, an issue where um, you, you, you're saying one thing, but you're really not wanting it to happen? Um I was talking to uh, some folks the other day, and uh, they they were talking about the fact that they had gotten a phone call from uh, somebody, and they answered it because it was somebody they they loved and they thought loved them, and said when they got on the phone, uh, the person just really lit into them and just started scalding them up one side and down the other, and uh, they were talking to me about it, and they said, boy, just for for it went on and on and on and on and on. And I told them, I said, where do you live? And they told me, and I said, don't you all have poor signal range out there? He said, well, yeah, there's some places. I said, no, don't you all have poor signal range out there? The idea being, look, it's someone you love, it's someone you care about, but you don't have to put up with that. And I was saying, look, you don't have to tell them that that there was a lost signal, but you do have poor signal range out there, and if it dropped, it dropped, right? And, and what I was saying by that is I wasn't telling them to lie about it or anything. I just was saying, you know, there's sometimes more ways to say it or sometimes more ways to experience it. And we all do things like that from time to time. We, we try to say something without saying something. And, and what, I'm, what I'm getting at is this, that when it comes to looking for the way of escape, there's often oftentimes that we say, boy, I looked for it and I couldn't find it. But the truth is, did we look for it or did we look for it? Were we looking for it, just saying, well, I'm going to do it because I know I'm supposed to, but really I want to do this, so I'm going to give into to it. Or did we really genuinely look for it? Are we, are we so upset at sin in our lives that we say, I'm just going to keep looking? And I'll tell you what a good rule of thumb would be. If you don't find the way of escape, just don't do the sin until you find it. And that in and of itself will be the way of escape. All right, three things that I think you need to learn. Number one, keep your guard up. Number two, don't think that your temptation is especially intense that no other person has had it. And number three, look for God's way of escape. We're going to go ahead and start on the second one tonight. It's probably not as long as the first one, and we've got a few moments. But let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. And uh, let's look in verse number four. And this one, I think, I've probably heard more misquoted than any of the ones I've talked about already. uh, Or misused, let me put it that way. It's not been misquoted, it's been misused, misapplied. The psalmist says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Uh, I'm going to give you a list of what it doesn't mean first. Because again, in fact, I'll say this. Uh, A lot of your modern translations, when they tried to change it and change the wording on it, they took what they thought it meant, and they changed it, and it wasn't what it meant, which often happens in a lot of these other versions. But what we tend to think of this is that uh, if, if we delight ourselves in God, then we can ask whatever it is we want, and God will give it to us that he's a blank checkbook as long as we delight ourselves in the Lord. And oftentimes, that's, that's, what, we, that's what we tend to think. We think, well, he, uh, it, we, would, we would understand it to read this way, uh, that he shall give us all that our heart desires in life. That's the way we would understand it. Uh, that's not what it says here, nor is it what it means. The focus here is not on us getting the desires that we want to have. The the, the emphasis here and the the focus of this is that the heart will be changed to have godly desires. So make sure we understand this verse very clearly. Um, A lot of these modern translations actually take this the way we misunderstand it oftentimes. They translated it that way. And a lot of these churches that are Word of Faith and Prosperity churches... They'll use that verse and they'll use other versions of it because it supports their erroneous teaching. That if you all you got to do is delight yourself in the Lord and everything you want, everything your heart desires, He'll give it to you. That is not what the verse is teaching me. We're going to look at some other scripture here and see how that we can understand and know for sure that that's not what it's teaching. Uh, if we truly delight ourselves in the Lord, uh, there's going to be a problem with understanding the verse that way. If we truly delight ourselves in the Lord, and then we want uh, a brand new CZ Scorpion rifle with sights on it, uh, or some of you ladies, you want a brand new uh, baking apron. I don't know, what do what ladies like? I don't know, whatever they like. Then, then when that doesn't happen, two things happen we begin to, even though we may not say it, we begin to think, well, God lied to me. Because here I am delighting myself in the Lord, and He didn't do what He said He was going to do in this verse. And even though we may not word it that way in our hearts, those things are beginning to mull around inside of us. Uh, the, the other thing that it, it creates a problem with is, uh, I wrote down here, um, we begin to think that we're not, not delighting in the Lord. Enough. It's the same thing that these Word of Faith healers uh, tell people that when they don't get healed, they say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. Can I tell you this? I, I would make an argument that none of us delight ourselves in the Lord enough, and I think that goes without saying, but it will cause those that are delighting themselves in the Lord to get frustrated because they're not seeing their their, their delights come to pass if they misunderstand this verse. Now, if we understand it rightly and understand it correctly then it makes perfect sense. It makes a lot better sense to us. Um, and that is that we, that we're as we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will change our hearts and our desires will not be our own, but they'll be the desires that He's given to us. Now, let's back that up with Scripture and look at a few things here. First of all, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to look in, uh, we're going to start in verse number one, Colossians chapter three. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, these are our desires, all right? Set your affection on what? Things above, not on things on the earth. So, what is God's desire? God's desire is not to give us what our heart desires. God's desire is for our heart to long for the things that He wants us to long for. That's what God's desire is. That's what's within the will of Scripture. That's what is in agreement with Scripture when we look at this verse. Now, now let's look at a few others here. There are three things that I think the Scripture says very clearly, and and there may be more. Uh, I will say that I don't necessarily think this is an exhaustive list, but at least these three are very, very clearly taught in Scripture that God wants us to delight in. Uh, Look with me in Psalm 42, verse number 1. Psalm 42. We're going to stay in the Psalms here for a few moments so we can get through uh, within the next probably 3 to 5 minutes, if not maybe 10 or 12, or or 30. Alright, Psalm 42 and verse number 1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor, uh, the Lord will deliver him, In time of trouble, the Lord will preserve him, will keep him alive, and he shall be blessed on the earth. And I've got the wrong 40. Do what? Oh, I'm in 41, 42. There we go. I was like, where's the first I'm looking for? I was reading the wrong one. As the heart. Okay, this is the old English word for deer. Amen, Brother Tom. As the heart panteth after the water brooks. Now, notice what it says here. So panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul what thirsteth for God, for the living God. When uh, shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat, day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? His, His desire, the psalmist's desire, was first of all to have the presence of God in his life and to love Him more each and every day. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul. After thee, uh, when we have the delight in the Lord that we're supposed to have, one of the things you'll find is your desire for God's presence and time spent with Him. Your time, uh, your, your 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 love for Him is going to begin to grow exponentially. It's going to get to the place where literally you're going to weep whenever you're not in His presence. There's going to be some sorrow there. And you're going to long for the time that you can come back into His presence. And this is the desire that the psalmist writes about when it comes to uh, the desires of our heart, godly desires. I think one of the first ones that God wants us to have is to desire Him. Uh, in uh, I think it's Psalm... Uh, let's see if I've got it here. I, I didn't write this one down. Psalm 63... One of, my, one of my favorite verses that I quote often, Psalm 63 and verse number 1, he says, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee, my soul thirsteth for Thee, my flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And just because we're saved and just because we've trusted Christ as our Savior does not mean that our desire for the presence of God in our lives is what it should be. There needs to be a delighting ourselves in the Lord for that desire to grow. There needs to be a a, an overwhelming sense of trying to do all that we can to delight in the Lord so that we can have these desires to begin to grow for for us. Uh, To have His presence, to have this hungering and this thirsting. Uh, in our lives for the presence of God, uh, to love Him more. Uh, you know, the Bible uh, teaches that the greatest commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with how much? All thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. The truth is, we've not yet accomplished that. We want to. That's the desire that we have. But the only way we're going to grow and to have this great desire of longing for Him more is to delight ourselves in the Lord. Now let's look at the second thing that I think is a delight that God wants us to have—a godly delight. Let's look in Psalm one, Psalm one, and we'll begin with verse number one. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, his delight is in the what? The law of the Lord, and in His law doth he meditate day and night. When we delight ourselves in the Lord and He's going to give us the desires of our heart, those desires are going to be reflected in. We're going to love Him more. We're going to want to be in His presence. We're going to want to be around Him. We're going to want to be everywhere there is something going on about Him. I've seen, some of you know what I'm talking about when I say this. I've met some people that when they got saved, they got really saved. You know what I mean when I say that, don't you? You just, they were like fireballs. I mean, if the janitor came to the church to clean the church house, they filled their pew and watched him do it. They didn't want to miss out on a thing. They were there, and they loved it. I don't know how many times over the years that when I was working with my dad, and my dad would have a revival, or sometimes when I pastored, I'd have a revival or a set of special services, and we were going to go a week long. Boy, heaven forbid, we go a week long on special services. Uh, it's like pulling it to get people. They come out really strong on Monday night, and they're there in force on Tuesday, and they make a good showing on Wednesday, and on Thursday they got some other things going on. And on Friday, you can't hardly get them to darken the door. Where is the delighting in the Lord? The Bible says that uh, we these delights, these longings for His presence and anything to do with Him is going to be evident in the life of those that are delighting themselves in the Lord. It's going to be a godly desire. It's His will for us to have, and those are the desires He's going to give us. You say, boy, I just don't seem to have the enthusiasm in my Christian life. I don't have the zeal. I don't have the excitement for His Word. I don't have the excitement for church. I don't have the excitement for for the time of Bible study. I don't have the excitement for prayer that I used to have. Then delight yourself in the Lord. Because those are the things that will produce these other godly desires. Uh, His presence. His Word. As we've seen in Psalm 1. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. I was going to read the whole chapter, the whole psalm, but uh, I'm just going to go through this. Verse number 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Can I ask you this? How many of you before you got saved felt that way about God's Word? Not too many. There was an excitement. There was a zeal. The Bible says that there was a rejoicing of the heart because of the statutes of the Lord. There was an enlightening of the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be what? Desired. He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Speaking of His law. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand these errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall, I, uh, then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer." We delight ourselves in the Lord. He's going to change our hearts. I I, I used to say it this way. He's going to change our wanter. The things that we want, He's going to change them. He's going to make us all of a sudden want to be in His presence to be involved in whatever He's got going on in this earth. He's going to help us to have a desire for His Word. It's going to be the thing we feast on. You know the psalmist said in Psalm 119? He said, if it were not for God's statutes, for His commandments, for His judgment, he said, he said, I would cease to live. And I'm paraphrasing the verse because I can't quote it precisely, but he said literally, it would, His life would cease if it were not for these things. That's how vitally important they were to Him. Let's look in Psalm 119. We're going to read a few verses here. Psalm 119. And let's look in verse number 10. Psalm 119 and verse number 10. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Isn't that amazing? With my whole heart have I sought thee. How many of you felt that way before you were saved? Didn't have that desire, did we? With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all thy judgment, of the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will what? Delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget Thy word. Turn over, or go down to verse number 24. He says, The testimonies, all, thy testimonies also are my what? Delight and my counselors. Look in verse number 77. Let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live, for thy law is my what? Delight. Look in uh, verse number 174. 174. I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's look in verse number 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, He's not going to give us whatever we want. He's going to give us the wants He wants us to have. He's going to give us a desire for His presence. He's going to give us a desire for His Word. And thirdly, He's going to give us a desire to do His will. He'll give us a desire to do His will. Look with me again in Psalm 40. Psalm 40, and let's look in verse number 8. Psalm 40, verse number 8. The psalmist says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I delight to do thy will, O Lord, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Uh, Look at once, once more in Psalm 119, verse number 35. Psalm 119, verse number 35. Make me to, what? Go in the path. Alright? Make me to go in the path of thy commandments. For therein do I, what? Delight. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our heart. The desires of our heart will be to long for His presence, to hunger, to thirst for it. To love His Word, to hunger, to delight is the Bible word. In His Word and to delight to do His will. I could probably find others in Scripture, but I think we get the gist of it tonight, don't we? That when we read that verse the next time, that we'll realize that this is not an Aladdin's lamp verse. This is not a blank check from God verse. This is a verse that says, if I delight myself in Him, He's going to change this right here. And I'm going to now delight in the things that are approved by Him and are part of Him. So how do I know if the desires I have are from God or whether they're my flesh? We gave you three of them tonight. If our desires delight in the Lord and His presence, if our desires delight in His Word, and if our desires delight to do His will, you can rest assured those are from God. And you want to make sure that whatever desires we have do not contradict Scripture in any way. I've heard people say, well, I can't find it in Scripture, but I want to do this, and I think this is what God's telling me to do. If He's telling you to do it, He'll give you a place to check it in Scripture and find out if it's right or wrong. And if you can't find it in Scripture, don't do it. If you can't find a way to get validation from Scripture that this is a right thing to do, don't do it. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Um, we need to make sure we understand this verse correctly. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, Boy, I really I really want this in life, and I'm just going to claim that verse. That is not what it means. It means that he will give us godly desires in our heart. All right, let's stand together we'll be dismissed. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. And Lord, we've taken a couple of Wednesday nights to try to clarify some verses of Scripture that oftentimes, and Lord, maybe maybe some of our folks here and maybe none of us have ever had a problem with it, but sometimes we have taken them and misused them, misquoted them, or misapplied them. I pray that you would give us your wisdom.